following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Go ahead and, and grab your Bibles, please, and turn to nowhere yet. I'm not going to tell you yet. Don't put anything up on the board yet, Tim. I just was thinking this is going to ruin the whole setup to this, so don't put anything up there yet, okay? Um, just grab your Bible and be ready, okay? I will give you a hint. We're going to be looking in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, so you can turn back to Genesis. That's not where we're going, but then you're at the start ready to go, all right? Let's ask God to bless our time in his word, and then let's dive in. Would you, would you pray with me, please? Father, we come before you, and Lord, our prayer is simple. As we look to your word today, we pray that it will have um, its way with us. And we pray, Father, Lord, we pray sincerely that if there's change that needs to take place in our lives, that you will show us that today and give us the strength by your spirit to change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell me if you know who said this, and I'm looking at one individual right now. He's not looking back at me, but he's going to know this. Um, First of all, raise your hand if you recognize this quote. It's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Anybody heard that before? Raise your hand. Are you serious? Nobody's heard about that? Are you... Raise your hand proud, George, okay? All right, Luke's right behind you. He's raising his hand. Who, who, who said that? Who, who made, I don't know if he came up with it, but he made it famous. Anybody remember? And you call yourselves OU fans? Are you kidding me? What was his name? George, what was his name? That's Barry Switzer. Are you kidding me, George? Oh, my goodness. I don't know about this. We just might have to stop right here and pray for you OU fans. I thought you were real fans. Wow. All right. Let me tell you this. If you don't know much about college sports, I can tell you one thing very specifically, okay? When it comes to recruiting, it is a competitive world and it is cutthroat, okay? Okay. People are after those highly rated recruits, and some people say that people will do anything to get those recruits. Matter of fact, if you are a Kentucky fan today, I can tell you what you've been saying this past week. Coach K is a cheater. He's a cheater. He's the head coach of Duke, and he got the top three, all top three of the recruits this next year. They all play similar to the same position, so I don't know what they're thinking. But they got all three of them in basketball. For this upcoming year. And people say, well, you can only, only get all those is you got to cheat. You got to cheat to get it done. Now, on the other end of the spectrum in, in, in recruiting, you've got, you've got, they rate these recruits from five star all the way down to one star. And then on the clear other end of the spectrum, you have these people. You have the walk-ons. All right? The walk-ons. There are two walk-ons at OU I'm going to talk about just for a moment. You OU fans should be happy. All right. One of them is that jolly fella that JB likes so much, Baker Mayfield. Okay, Baker Mayfield. All right, going to be probably a lottery pick. Um, pretty, pretty. He was a walk-on. I don't know if you realize that's part of his story. He walked on 
at Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, and then became their starter and then went on from there to become the Heisman Trophy winner this past year. But there's another walk-on at OU you might not be real familiar with. I don't even know his name. All I know is that this week he got a standing ovation from the OU faithful. All right? It's not that often that OU fills up their basketball arena, but when KU shows up to play him, they show up. All right? Because it's OU Super Bowl to play KU. It's everybody's Super Bowl to play KU. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so um, K-State Super Bowl is tomorrow night, by the way, because KU is showing up in town. So anyway, so what you got going on right here is you got this guy that nobody's ever heard of. He's about 6'10", kind of a big dude, all right? And he played for all of about a minute and 55 seconds. And in a minute and 55 seconds, you know what he got five of? Fouls. He fouled out in a minute and 55 seconds. And his whole job was to go foul the guy on KU's team who was an incredible ball player but can't hit free throws. All right? And then for some reason, Coach Self forgot that he should not have him out there at this time. Although, he, long story, it's just frustrating. It's still frustrating to me. But when this guy, how many people do you know foul out in a minute and 55 seconds and get a standing ovation? All right? That's what happened to this walk-on at OU. So on this end of the spectrum, when it comes to college sports recruiting, you have a walk-on. And on this side of it, you've got your five-star recruit. Now, here's a question for you. I need a little help from you here, okay? If you were going to rate the heroes of the Old Testament, who would be some of your five-star recruits? Just throw some names out for me. Don't, don't, not everybody at once, okay? I'm sorry, hold it back and be patient because you're all talking at once. I'm sorry, okay? Who? What we got? Abraham? Moses? David? Noah? Who else we got? Who? Jesus? Well, that's a good answer and he's very much alluded to. Yeah, very good, very good. A lot of, a lot of messianic prophecy in there and he was God's son, still, um, always been alive. All right, probably the best, the best five star, you know? Who? McGillsadek, I knew you. You love McGillsadek, don't you? Yeah, Esther. Oh, we got a woman. We got a woman. I was wondering. She's going to come into the story a little bit today. All right. I, how about Nehemiah? Five star. Anybody? You're like who? Yeah. <laughs> Nehemiah. Who? <laughs> Nehemiah. We're going to talk a little bit today about you know in fifteen over fifteen years of being here at Daring, I've never preached one time about Nehemiah. And I feel kind of bad about that because he's quite a man. Turn to Nehemiah. It's right in the middle of your Old Testament. It's one of the last history books in the Old Testament. Okay? You got Ezra and Nehemiah. They're very closely tied together. Okay? And you'll find it, like I said before, if you, if you get to Psalms, which is the biggest book in the Bible, it's a collection of Psalms actually, um, turn a little bit before that and you will find... Nehemiah, all right? Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in Nehemiah's time. The nation of Judah, now now keep this in mind, Israel got split up, okay? We're just going to do a little bit of Old Testament history here. Israel got split up. It's God's people, the nation, well, the kings, the people just didn't get along all that well, and they split up into two kingdoms. You've got the nation of Israel, and you've got, which is the northern kingdom, okay? And then You've got the nation of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. 
Israel would one day be what we would begin to kind of call the Samaritans. So that's, we'll kind of put it into a New Testament context for you, okay? So you got Israel and you got Judah. Now, Judah was kind of on a roller coaster ride all throughout Old Testament history once the kingdom divided. They had good kings and they had bad kings. And when there was a good king, Judah did pretty well. When there was a bad king, they didn't do very well, okay? Now, Israel, there was no roller coaster in Israel. It was all just like down here because they never had any good kings, okay? And because of that, Israel would fall and be taken captive and conquered by the nation of Assyria. Quite some time, Judah managed to stand strong and, and remain, because they were, I'm not going to go to the length of saying they were always faithful to God, they were not. But they had some kings that would bring them to a place of repentance. All right, so you've got Judah now in captivity, and the nation that took them captive was the nation of Babylon. God brought them to this place because of their continual disobedience and idolatry. That's why they end up taken from home and put in Babylon, okay? But God did not forget his people in Babylon. And I was in a five-star, one of the five stars out there, you might, Daniel. I, I never, I didn't hear anybody say Daniel, but he'd be on that. He's at least a four-star, all right, okay? Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, somebody said Esther, all right. Those heroes of the faith did their thing during the Babylonian captivity, all right? No, God did not forget his people as they were in Babylon. Matter of fact, Esther's going to factor in today's story just a little bit. God also made it clear long before Judah was even taken by Babylon through the prophets that they would not remain there. God would bring them home. Okay? After a period of around 70 years, he would do just that. Babylonian history, politically speaking, is very, very confusing. Okay? One of the reasons it's confusing is because even in our Bible, they, the, the kings seem to go by different names. And this is because the kings did not only go by their names, they also went by titles. Okay, And that, that makes it, that's going to play a role today, as you will see, that makes it a little bit conserving. Not to mention there were revolts, there were overthrows. In the world, you had the rising power of the nation of Persia. On top of that, the nation of Greece was beginning to gain power through a guy by the name of Philip, and you might have heard about his son, Alexander the Great, okay? And then off kind of in their own little corner starting to make the little waves is, is Rome, all right? So the world is, is kind of crazy right now here. Tumultuous would have been a good word to describe the scene, the political scene of the world, all right? Again, Judah's captivity in Babylon would last about 70 years. Halfway, around halfway through that, Esther arrives on the scene. She won the nation's beauty pageant, if you will, and she became the queen of King Ahasuerus. Okay? Now, King also... I'm not going to say his name. I'm going to use his other name. All right? As I said, some are titles, some are names. He also went by this. Artaxerxes, and that's a lot easier to say than the other one. Okay, so that's one we're going to stick with. That's her husband. She becomes his queen. Again, that's going to be important here in a moment. Now back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cup bearer of King Artaxerxes. 
Basically what that meant, well, we'll talk a little bit more about what that job entails here in a little bit, okay? I will tell you this. This is an important position, and it's not a position that someone gains by groveling and crying about losing their homeland. Much like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and yes, even Esther, Nehemiah took lemons and made what? Lemonade. F- lim- I like that. I like that even better than lemonade. I think I'm gonna. I think we're going with it. Nehemiah took lemons and made lemon meringue pie. Okay, I like it. I like that. We might retitle the sermon. Okay, all right. So let's look at this closely. Turn to Nehemiah chapter one. We're going to focus on just the first two chapters. It's 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 over a dozen chapters long, but we're just going to look at we're just going to look at the first couple of them here. Okay. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Oh boy, this is interesting. In other words, he's writing. He's telling his story here. Okay. Now it happened in the month of Chislev that in the twentieth. In the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. You see, Judah is still there. There's just not much there right now, okay? I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant is there in, pro- there in the province Those who survived the captivity, though, are in great distress, and they are a reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now, it came about, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. You know something? It's a little difficult for us to maybe completely understand the depth of the sorrow of the Jewish exiles. Those who had been ripped from their homeland and put into a foreign nation. I think the one part of the reason it's hard for us to, to think about that is because our nation isn't very old. It's, it's really not. Our, our nation is still very much a baby nation, okay? And, and I don't know if it's old enough for us to have developed and adopt the type of ownership in that nation that, that, that the Jews had for Judah, okay? And, and I, was trying to, I was trying to put this into context in our mind in, in a way that might speak a little more clearly to us. And think about it in this way. We live in an agricultural part of this world, okay? I know a lot of you grew up in that type of environment. You grew up on a farm, Okay? Now, imagine this. You grew up on a farm. You not only grew up on the farm, you took control of this farm. And this wasn't just any farm. We're talking multi-generational. Okay? Many, many years. And while you were farming this land, you lost all of it. Times are tough. Times are difficult. And you lost it. All of that history fell upon you, and you lost it. So you go about 
your business, you continue on with life, and then a couple of decades later, you come back to the farm, and the place is completely and totally unrecognizable. Everything is in shambles. The fields look horrible. Everything is horrible. And you wish when you see it that you had never even driven down that old road to see it. If you begin thinking of it in that way, maybe you begin to acknowledge the depth of Nehemiah's sorrow. But Nehemiah wasn't just sad. All right, I stopped in the middle of verse 4. It says, in verse 4, Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah wasn't simply sad. His sorrow led him to do something. And the first thing he did was pray. And in his prayers, Nehemiah didn't just simply complain. Okay? I mean, he didn't just say, God, how could you do this to us? All right, how could you rip us out of our home, put us in this place, and then our home is in ruins? The walls of the city. Guys, walls around a city in that day and time, that's a big deal. Okay? The gates are burned with fire. The walls are on the ground. No, he didn't just show up to God and complain. He owned the sin of his people and he worshipped God. Let's read about it. Beginning with verse 5. Verse 4 tells us he's praying. Verse 5 tells us what he is praying. And I said, I beseech thee, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God that let his people get taken captive. (laughs) No, that's not what he says. Who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open and hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we, he doesn't say they, he says we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which thou did command your servant Moses, which the word that you did command your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But, underline that in your Bible. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you have been scattered in the midst of the remotest parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And they are your servants and your people whom you did redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, that you incline your ear to me, be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere, praise your name, and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. What man, you say? And we get the man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. 
something else will describe for us Nehemiah in the midst of his sorrow. He was humble. He was repentant. And he was patient. Uh, There's a reason why Nehemiah gives us a time frame here, okay? Beginning of chapter 1, it says the month of Chislev. All right? The beginning of chapter 2, it says the month of Nisan. Uh, Anybody have those on your calendar at home? Okay, me either. Let me tell you this. Four months. For four months, Nehemiah prayed. He fasted. And he prayed. And he prayed. Before he ever went to any action whatsoever. Patience, I don't know about you, but patience and clarity of mind are not the primary words I would use to describe my first reactions to sorrow. Patience and clear thinking. (laughs) Takes time sometimes to get a little clear-headed. But Nehemiah was an incredible man because he was not simply sad his sorrow was motivation to bring about change all right i sent i sent tim um a couple of pictures um today and i was hoping i don't know if zed and Lindsay they might just not be here today or or they might be in children's church i wasn't sure what they were doing but but i got a picture the first picture i sent you why don't you pop that up here tim then that guy is doesn't that look like Zed? You kind of, I see you kind of, yeah, kind of a little bit, maybe a little bit. Anybody know who that is? Nobody? Okay, you can pull that down. A day that will live in infamy, people. Infamy! October 28th, 2006. If you're a KU football fan, you have to live in the past, okay? October 28, 2006, KU had not yet won a Big 12 game. I don't think they've won one for six years now, but this is back then, okay? All right, so they, they hadn't, their, their record wasn't looking all that great. It looked like it was going to be a t- another kind of a tough year. Mark, Mark Mangino, the coach, had kind of been rebuilding them, and it looked like they're going to take a step back this year. And coach made a decision in that game, down by three touchdowns, to pull the red shirt off of a freshman named Todd Reesing. And he went into the game and won the game. And f- nobody, everybody was a little excited, but not even the most optimistic of KU football fans. Yes, they do exist, okay? Had any idea that 14 months later, why don't you put that next picture up there, Tim? 14 months later. You see that picture? That's Todd Reesing in action. You see that, you see that little thing right there on his, on his shirt? Um, K-State fans, I know you don't know what that is. That's, a, that's an Orange Bowl, BCS Bowl game patch, okay? Because your team's never been there before, all right? And he has that patch on, and they 
trounced Virginia Tech and finished in the standings that year number two in the nation. Isn't that great, DJ? Isn't that just so incredibly wonderful? Who could have imagined that when that little freshman guy, 5'11 and 184 pounds, steps on the field? He had not yet earned the name the gunslinger at that point. All right? You know something? In most famous athletes, not saying that Todd Reesing is a famous athlete, and I don't even know who he is, um, in most of their careers, though, there's a defining moment. A point in time where people recognize them and say, Who's that? What happened with this guy? Turn to Nehemiah chapter 2 and read a little bit here with me, okay? We're just going to read the first couple verses here. It came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now a little bit, just a second here. The cupbearer of the king, it was his responsibility to drink the king's wine. It's a difficult job, all right? And thereby, I mean, he's a king and a nation that is pretty tumultuous, as I've already said. And if, if Nehemiah took a drink and didn't kill over and die, then the king would be like, well, I can drink it, all right? So that was his job. He was the cupbearer to the king. Continue on. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. Why is Nehemiah fearful here? Okay, turn a few pages before this to Esther. Actually, after. Sorry about that. It's confusing. Because the Old Testament has a way of putting things in reverse order. Alright. They're more concerned about themes than chronology. chronology. Okay. Turn to Esther 4, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is, this is Esther Mordecai. We're not going to get into all of her story, but he's very close to her. He was her cousin. He took kind of care of her. He was the one that eventually got her in the place that she would become the queen. Mordecai was also one of the counselors of the king, not an important one. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out in the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He had heard that the Jews were going to be massacred. That's what he had heard. And he went as far as the king's gate. And now catch this. For no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Let me tell you something about sackcloth. In that day and time, you wore sackcloth when you were sad. And somebody in sackcloth, in that state, emotionally, was not even allowed in the gate of the palace. 
much less in the presence of the king. And now we have King Artaxerxes looking at Nehemiah saying, why are you sad? This is not because you've been sick. This is what you are wearing. The the look on your face that you're wearing is coming from your heart. And guys, you've got to understand, same king, Artaxerxes, Mordecai, to Nehemiah, same rules. And this king could look at the demeanor of Nehemiah and see it as an insult. I have put you in a prominent place. You are my cupbearer. You have no right to be sad in my presence. This is the type of thing that people lost their heads over. I know that sounds so strange to us because we don't live in that type of world, but it was the world that Nehemiah lived in. So when the king looked at him and said, you're sad. Nehemiah was very much afraid. So what is Nehemiah going to say? Is he going to say, sorry king, I shouldn't have eaten that hummus before I went to bed. I know it. I mean, it always messes with my stomach. I'm sorry, I'll get a smile put on. You know, stomach sometimes makes the face not look as pretty as it should. All right, I am so, so sorry. Won't happen again. Is that what he's going to say? Verse 3. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? And the king said to me, what would you request? Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. First things first, Nehemiah hasn't lost his head yet. Okay, that's good. That's good. The king says, the king says, what do you want, Nehemiah? And before Nehemiah says anything, what's he do? He prays. Folks, I can tell you right now, a combination that lives on to this day in this world and lives beyond millenniums, generations, whatever you want to call it. You take courage and you take prayer and you put that combination together. And what do you get? Power. Power. Powerful combination. Let's look at verse 5. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. Who's the queen? Esther. Yes. Incredible woman. She's had quite an influence on this king. The king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send him, send me, and I gave him a definite time. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the province beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And then check out what he says next. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, temple, and for the city wall, and for the house in which I will go. Nehemiah is swinging here for the fences, folks, all right? 
He's not just asking for permission to go. He's asking the king for the materials to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What are walls' primary purpose? Defense. Defense, okay? Jerusalem had been the thorn in the side of powerful nations for years. This makes no sense that this king would use his treasure to rebuild its gates and its walls. But Nehemiah, hey, God's got my back. I'm swinging. And it is mind-blowing. The king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. See, God was at work. Now listen very, very closely. Because this is so important for us, folks. God has a way of invading our defining moments and transforming his followers into heroes. You understand that? God has a way of invading our defining moments in life and transforming his followers into heroes. The rest of Nehemiah's story, let me just summarize it for you, not easy. It's not easy street after this, folks, because the king's not around. He's in a different part of the world. And there is opposition. You see, following God will always create opposition for us in this world. Matter of fact, it's from Nehemiah. This is, a, this is an amazing part of, of this story. I love this. Nehemiah instructs those building the walls to watch each other's backs because there is opposition. And he says, you get the hammer in one hand, and what do you put in the other one? The sword. And you be ready to use both. Nehemiah wasn't alone, though. Ezra would show up in this story. You see, Ezra would be given the job. He was one of the recorders for the king. Another Jew that had raised to a prominent position in this godless kingdom, okay? And he would be given the job at the bidding of the king to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Are you telling me God isn't at work? (laughs) No, Nehemiah was not alone. And others would come to help him. You know why? Because heroes are inspiring people. Walk-ons and five-star recruits. Got to understand something, people. When it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to God's team, there are no walk-ons. Okay? Because a walk-on, this is, I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with that, a walk-on isn't really recruited heavily. They just want to go somewhere and they want to play there bad enough that they just, they just go there without being recruited. Now don't get complicated with me, you college sports geeks, okay? I know that some walk-ons are also recruited a little bit, okay? But that's not what I'm talking about here. They, they show up of their volition because they want to be there, all right? And I'm thinking, well, that kind of sounds like, no, 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 no. This is the deal. They are not prized recruits. And there's something we have to understand. Every one of us in God's kingdom is a prized recruit. We are worth enough that God shed his blood for us. 
That's a prized recruit. And Jesus would have died on the cross for you and only you. Don't ever forget that. Each one of us are prized in the eyes of our God. And every one of us has heroic potential. You know why? Because God gives us his spirit. At their core, what are heroes about? I don't know, preacher, kicking butt and taking names. <laughs> ah, if you like Marvel movies, and all right, Tim. Iron Man, the Hulk, King Kong. That's from Wednesday night, you're right. That's a whole nother story. Come join us on Wednesday night, we have some fun. All right. Heroes in God's kingdom, a little bit different. It's not necessarily about kicking butt and taking names, okay? It's more like this. Giving glory. You see, heroes in God's kingdom are not about collecting glory. They're about giving it. Giving praise to others and giving glory to God. But what's the number one thing about heroes? Saving lives. Now in God's kingdom, the primary hero, we know this, is the guy who died on the cross for us. The Christ. But folks... God has placed a responsibility upon our shoulders. It's very clear in his word. To save people by leading them to the Savior. And every one of us in this room has the potential to be heroic. This week. Would you stand with me, please? Folks, we've told you before that the invitation that we offer here at Deering is every day of the week, every hour of the day. There are phone numbers in that bulletin. I've told you many, many times the elder's number's there and JB's number's there and my number's there. If you call after midnight, call one of them. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. But as I've told you before, if one of us does not answer at 1.30 in the morning, we will call you back. It's just tough to get really clear-minded for me at 1.30 in the morning. And JB, when he first got here years ago, he was always up at 1.30 in the morning, but not anymore. (laughs) Our invitation is not just the end of a service on Sunday morning. That's what we're trying to say. And yet, that being said, there's no better time to answer the questions God is asking of you in your heart, then now.
JB will be up here. I'll be up here for a little bit. I've got something I got to get to, but I'll be here for a little while. Our elders will be here. Melvin's already up here. And there are other people in this room. There are heroes in this room. And be more than willing to talk to you about what God is looking for in your life. Don't leave here today if God's speaking, okay, without doing something about it. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you so much that you take ordinary men and women and transform them by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. to heroes and warriors for your kingdom, Lord. Lord, there are people in this world that are dying. They're dying to know Jesus. Give us the courage and the words to and when we open our mouths. Give us the compassion, Lord, to treat people in such a way that they will listen to us when we speak. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that he will work in our lives this week. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody here today that needs something resolved in their lives, in their souls, that that man, that woman, that teenager whoever may be will not leave here without getting that taken care of thank you for being patient with us Lord we pray this in Jesus name Amen